Oh, amen. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews uh, chapter 11. We're going to begin reading in verse 32. I want to share a message entitled a resume of war. Hebrews chapter 11 in uh, verse 32. What shall I say more? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and David also and Samuel and of the prophets, uh, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, uh, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. All These all, um, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, but God hath provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. We're thankful for this weekend uh, where we can remember those who have given the ultimate sacrifice in offering their life uh, that we might be able to be free. Uh, Lord, we're thankful for the testimony of Christ that he offered himself for us that we might be free. Uh, we're thankful, Lord, that greater love can no man have than he should lay down his life for his friends. And uh, Lord, as we go through this chapter and we consider some things this morning uh, in the life of Israel, certainly in the life of the church, uh, in the life uh, through history, Lord, uh, that we might realize the great battle that is raging and uh, the war that needs to be fought and, uh, Lord, the battles that need to be won. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts in a great way. There might be somebody here has never been saved. There's a battle for their soul this morning. And uh, Lord, you're not willing that any should perish, but how the devil fights and tries to control and manipulate our thoughts in the flesh and uh, hinder us from coming to faith in Christ. So Holy Spirit of God, we ask for you to descend upon this place even now as I'm praying and take control of every thought and every heart, Lord, here. And I pray that our lives might be a testimony of the grace of God and there might be souls that would be saved. So speak to us, Lord, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verses, verse 37. It says, And they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Resume of war. We know this passage, we often identify Hebrews chapter 11 as a great faith chapter. 
And as uh, Paul comes to the end of his summary of those of great faith in chapter 11, he just goes through this resume of all the conflict and all the difficulties that different believers had to suffer uh, for the cause of their God. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend. It's a time when we set a time aside just to remember and reflect on those who gave their lives that we might be able to enjoy the freedoms uh, that we uh, enjoy. You know, freedom is never free. It always costs something. And it's amazing how people want to uh, take away from the privilege and the blessedness of being in such a nation to enjoy such freedoms that's really unheard of around the world. And uh, we're, we have those experience because of those that are willing to offer themselves in defense of this country, in defense of what we believe and what we trust in. The custom of placing flowers on the graves and of uh, those who gave their life in war began on May 5th in 1866 in Waterloo, New York. It was in 1868 that General Logan, president of the Grand Army of the Republic, issued an order that May 30th would be set aside for the purpose of strewing with flowers the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country during the late rebellion. Uh, after World War I, this day was set aside to honor the dead of all American wars, uh, later being extended to pay homage to deceased relatives and friends, both military and civilian. The most solemn of all these ceremonies that are conducted on Memorial Day is that of placing the reef on the tomb of the unknown soldier in Arlington National Cemetery. This is a time of remembrance. It is a time of acknowledging that there is a cost for freedom. And it is a time of being aware of the fact of what war is all about and what is involved and what are the, the sacrifices that are offered. There's sobering statistics, they say, that in the wars and conflicts that America have been a part of, and there's way past in excess of a million deaths in all these different battles and wars. They say there is in excess of a million and a half, possibly two million people that have been wounded during these conflicts. And it has cost the United States of America almost a trillion dollars throughout its history of doing battles and and defending our coast and fighting against the enemy. And so war, the resume of war, is it's expensive. Uh, it is tragic. And people suffer during these times of just being able to give you the ability to sit here this morning and worship God as you choose. And uh, many, many countries around the world do not have that privilege. I love America, I really do. And uh, I know America's changing. America today is not the America that I grew up in when I was a teenager. And you young people, you think you have freedoms. You don't know what freedom is. I mean, you could actually drive down the road in a car and not put a seatbelt on, amen, without being afraid somebody's going to pull you over. And you could actually ride your motorcycle and not have to worry about putting a helmet on. And uh, you say, well, that's what's wrong with you. You fell off that thing too many times. That's probably true. There's probably more truth to that than what you think. You know, I remember we used to go hunting on my dad's farm. We never had to worry about getting a hunting license. Man, now you can't do anything. I remember going to the beach and taking big shovels with me to the beach 
And we were kids, and we'd go on the beach, and I mean, you talk about building a sandcastle. I mean, we dug holes that you thought if you dug any deeper, you'd be in China. And I mean, we did all kinds of things. Now you can't take anything on the beach, and you better pay to get on there. Amen? Freedoms. Our freedoms. The character of America is changing. But the reality is the cost to be able to enjoy the freedoms we have still comes with a big price tag on it. And I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm glad. I love the America because of the heritage of sacrifice. I'm thankful for people that are willing to sacrifice uh, over the years. And I, I, I read, I was just recently re listening to some clips, some YouTube clips, and, and reading some testimonies of wars gone by and think of World War II, just the different ones that you know, weren't old enough to go in the military, but they couldn't wait till they got old enough so they'd go in and defend this great country. And uh, I, hope, I hope we're not losing that spirit of people being willing to sacrifice and give of themselves and offer their service in defense of our country, to defend our borders. We have a heritage of sacrifice. We have a privilege of freedom. Freedom is not just given. Freedom is a privilege that you enjoy. And you understand that if we do not defend the freedoms that we have, it is very easy to lose those freedoms very quickly. Uh, we have a heritage of sacrifice, we have a privilege of freedom, and we have the prestige of sovereignty. And uh, I never liked the United Nations and never liked all these different things. I remember I preached against NAFTA years ago. I'm glad Trump got away with it. They did, did, did away with it. And uh, um, I remember I, uh, when Bush was in office and they passed the Patriot Act. I preached against that too. And because of the fact that it takes our freedoms away and it, and it limits our ability to be a sovereign nation. You understand, we do not surrender our ability, our powers, and who we are to another nation or people. We are sovereign. We are the United States of America. We are not anything else. And it's all right to be happy about that. And it's all right to say amen when that happens. Amen. It's all right to acknowledge the fact that we are the greatest nation in the world. I believe that. You say, well, there's other countries that are good, wonderful. We're the greatest, amen? And I'm, I'm glad that we can be in America. War is raging all around us, physical wars in different countries, but ultimately the devastate, most devastating war that is going on is the war between good and evil, the war between God and Satan. And I'll tell you, people, people's lives are being destroyed. I'm distraught. I, I've been recently doing some research on trends in the church in America. And there's so much false doctrine that is in the churches, it, it turns the stomach. Uh, there is a movement to discredit the reality of the rapture of the church. I got one thing to say. If you want to stay here when the rapture happens, fine. I'm checking out. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to heaven. If you want to stay here and be in the middle of the tribulation, go for it. Amen. So there is a war that is raging against God, about the, against the Christian, against the church. And it's coming in from everywhere in every way. And so it's a war that continues to endure and it continues to build up many, many casualties. That's why our text verse says they were stoned. 
They were sawn asunder. That means they were cut in half. Were tempted. They were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. And listen, the, the believer in Christ, the saint of God who lives for God and stands in the battle, if you will, stands in the gap against good and evil, between good and evil, we're not worthy of the world because we're worthy of God. And the world does not know what integrity is, and the world does not understand what sacrifice is, and the world cannot comprehend what the commitment is of a believer who lives for their God is willing to sacrifice everything that God might be glorified. A resume of war. I want you to be here tonight. I'm going to be preaching a message entitled, God Bless America. And I want you here for that. It's going to be a good one. Amen. I'm preaching the dud this morning and preaching a good one tonight. Amen. <laughs> resume of war. I want to look at three things. Number one, there's a strategy. The strategy of war. And uh, certainly anybody that goes into battle, anybody that's been in the service, anybody that has been in a part of uh, any type of uh, skirmishes or battles around the world in your time in the military, you know there's a strategy that is laid out. There is a plan that is going to be accomplished. And there is a strategy, and the enemy is always against you, and the enemy is always wanting to destroy you, and the enemy has a purpose and we think about that between good and evil, between God and Satan. The, the enemy has a purpose of to imitate who God is. In Isaiah chapter 14, and if you have your Bible, you can turn over these verses. I'll try to say them early enough so you can get over and read along with me. But I want you to know that the enemy, the strategy of Satan, is to imitate everything that God is. You know, there's a lot that is being said about being a Christian that absolutely has nothing to do with the reality of what a Christian is. And so just to say I'm a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. And just to say that I honor God doesn't mean that you're honoring the Lord because of what's going on. There's an imitation to try to present a false premise of who God is, and that's how the enemy works, because if he can confuse you, the cults are masterminds of confusing people. If they can confuse you and mix you up about who God is and about who you are in your relationship with the Lord, they've won the battle. That's all they have to do. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground? which didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt myself on the throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to, the, to hell to the sides of the pit. See, the, the, the tactic of Satan was to come onto the scene and be like God. He, his pride puffed him up to the point where he thought he could sit on the throne of heaven like God and be like God. But the problem is this, that God would not tolerate that and God cast him out. 
And once God cast him out of heaven, uh, literally there is a war that has been raging in reference to who is truth and who is a liar. And who is just and who is right and who is unholy and who is wicked. And so there, the, the tactic of the enemy is try to confuse the, the people and to bring them low by thinking that God can be worshipped from all kinds of different avenues. I was witnessing to someone the other day and they said this, well, you know, um, getting a God is like being on a bus. You have people from all different backgrounds, they get on the bus and they get there to the heaven. I'm like, where in the world did you come up with that? I'm a bus driver and I can't think of that. Amen. And uh, I told him, I told him, I said, well, that sounds nice and everything else, but the reality is there's only one way to get to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. There's only one sacrifice for man's sin, and that's the sacrifice Christ laid down to himself for us. And listen, the enemy wants to try to imitate. There's all kinds of ways to get to the Lord. And so the purpose of the enemy is to imitate God. But it's also to corrupt the things of God. In Ezekiel, if you turn to the right a little bit in your Bible, you get to the book of Ezekiel, another book of prophecy, in Ezekiel chapter 28, in verse 12, speaks in reference to Satan once again. It says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sun, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And now uh, Satan, when he was in heaven, was an angel that led in worship and praise. He was one, he says here, he is full of wisdom and he was full of beauty. In verse 13, he says, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. And we know Satan comes in the garden of Eden to tempt Adam and Eve. Every precious stone was thy coverings, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, and the onyx. And the jasper and sapphire, the emerald and the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes were prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. God created him as a beautiful instrument, instrument of worship and praise. And Satan received from God the ability to lead the heavens in worship. And it says here in verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and hast set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. See, there is a strategy of war, and the strategy is this. The enemy wants to imitate everything that God is, so thou he can fuse people and his he has corrupted everything that is holy before the Lord we're living in an era in Christianity where many many different ways and concepts and ideas of salvation are acceptable and we're living in an era and time in Christianity where everything that was holy is now being called corrupt and everything that was corrupt is now being called holy the devil, I'll tell you, he's got a great strategy on how to try to destroy the Christian life. He's got a, straight stra a great strategy on how to uh, ruin uh, you. But I'm thankful that Jesus said, Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
There is a strategy that he has. He cannot defeat the Lord, but the sad thing is he's tripping up an awful lot of people. Notice there's the attack on creation, Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat every tree of the garden. One warning sign, one red flag to say you better watch out. The devil's on the tack. And that's when he comes and says, Yea, hath God said. That's how he gets people, gets to cast a doubt first. And then in verse 4, it says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. What he does is, first of all, he casts the doubt in your mind whether the Bible is real or not and whether God is true or not. And once he casts the doubt in your mind, then he comes along and discredits and attacks the Word of God. God said, Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So the strategy of the devil is always to cast a doubt and then work confusion to cause you to deny who uh, the Lord is and how you need to be right with him. Not only does he imitate God, corrupt the things of God, and attack the creation of God, but he is there to pervert or prevent the redemption of God. God wants man to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish. In Genesis chapter 4, after Adam and Eve had children, Abel and Cain, it says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And so the trying to prevent the redemption of God was the slaying of Abel. Why? Because Abel brought a more excellent sacrifice before the Lord. The sacrifice that Abel brought was a blood sacrifice. It was a sacrifice of the flocks of the field. And Cain brought an offering or a sacrifice that was to labor the works of his hand from the field. And because that God rejected Cain's offering, Cain hated Abel. And when he hated Abel, he slew Abel. Why? Because the devil is in the business. The strategy is laid out to prevent the redemption of God. It's amazing how aggressive people get when you try to tell them you must be born again. When you tell people they need to be saved, they get mad. I've had my tracks thrown at me. I've had people cuss me out. I've had them spit on me. Nobody's hit me yet. Maybe I can duck fast. I don't know, you know. They, people get aggressive. Uh, you know, we go out soul winning. And our, some folks went out this past week and just put Bibles on people's doorstep and everything else. And, man, we got a phone call. This guy was madder than a wet hen, man. He was screaming and hollering at Bev. Where's Bev at? Yeah, Bev got the call. Whenever anything we do, Bev gets the call. Amen. <laughs> so, and I mean, they get hot just because of the fact that you leave them a Bible. If you don't want to give it to somebody else. It's amazing you can put all this garbage and uh, mail and everything else in their mailbox. They don't mind about that. But you give them a track or you give them a Bible and everybody's all upset. They're aggressive. Why? That's the strategy of the devil, to create hatred in somebody's heart so despising who God is that they'll attack anybody that wants to tell them about Christ. 
So he, why would Abel be slain? Because he was the righteous line to bring, be in line for the redemption that God would bring to mankind. I thought of the killings of babies in Exodus chapter 1 when Moses uh, was, God was going to bring the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. He was going to use a man named Moses and uh, well, they were uh, uh, angry about and fearful about the prophecy of the one that would come and bring deliverance to Israel. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Why, why, would, why would Pharaoh make that decision? Because it was the impression of Satan, the strategy that was laid to stop the redemption of the people that would trust Christ as their Savior. He was wanting to stop the genealogy. Do you, know, you realize this morning that the number one killer of deaths, the number one deaths in the black community in America is abortion? It's abortion. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you right now, Satan has a strategy. And his strategy is to kill off the opportunity for people to know, be aware of the redemption that God has for every one of us. And if he can cut off the opportunity for people to be saved, if he can cut off life, he can stop the way to heaven. And so he's killed. I thought about the killing of the babies in Moses' day. I thought about the killing of the royal seed. I don't know if did I, put the, I did put that one on there. Second Kings, we won't turn it over there, but Joash was uh, in the line. He was the last one in the line, and wicked Athalia decided she was going to do whatever she could to destroy the lineage, the royal seed of David. And the reason why that was there was not just because she despised the royal seed of David. It was because it was the strategy of Satan to stop the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he was Josiah, jo, Joash was hid, and he was saved alive. And that line, the genealogical line, all the way from, to Adam, from Adam and Eve to Seth to Noah, and all the way down through the history of Israel is fulfilled because of God's war that he's fighting against Satan. I want you to know the war, the resume of war is real this morning against good and evil. There's a strategy. There's the casualties of war. The casualties of war. The attack is on the God of the righteous. Realize that this morning. That the attack is not on you necessarily, nor was the attack necessarily on those in Hebrews chapter 11, but the attack was on the God of those people in Hebrews chapter 11. Jesus said that if they hate you, realize that they hated him before they hated you. And the attack was on there. Goliath uh, the, and uh, the Philistines are against Israel. But listen, they are fighting against the God of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 45, David tells Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord my God. And he makes it very clear the battle was not between Goliath and David. The battle was between the Philistine God and the God of David. 
You know, uh, Elijah would stand on, uh, up on the Carmel's hill and he would pray a prayer of 63 words and fire would come down from heaven. That was not a battle between Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal. That was the, listen, that was the battle between Baal and Jehovah God. And God defeated them. I'm just thankful that we have to realize that the casualties of war, the attacks that come, is that which is exercised to try to stop the redemption that God has and that it is an attack on God more so than it is an attack on you and me. Uh, Hammond against Mordecai in the book of Esther was all in reference to the God of, uh, of Israel being over the gods of the heathen. And I want you to know this morning, there, if you're going to live for Christ, you're going to be a Christian I'm telling you, there's a price to pay. Around the world, around the world, they say approximately 250 million Christians every year experience persecution around the world. We don't hear about it. We think we're persecuted if somebody won't talk to us. But the reality is, I'm telling you, people are suffering, losing everything they have just because of the fact they're a Christian. And there is a strategy that Satan has established. Why do you think all these countries are at war with one another and everything? Satan is the author of lies. He is the author of wickedness. He is the one who brings a reproach in people's hearts to want to hurt someone else. This is all energized by Satan, but God is on the throne. He's still in control. The attack of the church of Christ has to deal with this. There's a spirit of persecution that Paul talks about in uh, 2, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Paul says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I don't know why the church in America thinks that's not necessary. I don't understand why believers in, in Christ in America think that we are exempt from that. But the reality is, Paul said, if you're going to live for Christ, there is persecution that you can expect. Yes, you, you, all these court things that are going on right now, if you're a Christian business person and they want you to violate your, your morals, they want you to violate your principles by what you live in, understand this, that is a strategy of Satan to shut down the witness and the message and the testimony of believers. There is a spirit of, of persecution in the world in which we live. It is becoming more and more prevalent, and it's becoming more and more vocal, and it's becoming more and more evident as the days go by. The question is just simply this, Christian, when you have to face this spirit of persecution, are you going to stand for Christ? Are you going to be a soldier of the Lord? Are you going to stay in the battle or are we going to hide and cower away? There's a spirit of persecution. There's the evidence of persecution. Uh, Saul's mission and desire, you read Acts, we're going to turn over to Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. It was all about the Apostle Paul going with authority to do what? To imprison believers, to torture believers. 
He would stand and consent to the death of Stephen, a believer in Christ, a deacon in the early church. Paul's mission and desire was to persecute the Christian, but the public's goal and pleasure was that the Christian would be persecuted. In Acts chapter 12, James is thrown into prison. Why? Because it pleased the people. Herod threw him in the prison because it pleased the people. It's an alarming thing that uh, it's, it's, pop, it's, it's not acceptable to condemn or persecute anybody for their faith, and you certainly can't discriminate against anyone because of the faith, but popular opinion today is that it's okay against the Christian. This whole equity, equality act, I mean, that just got passed in the House of Representatives. All that is is a blatant attack, and I'm going to be going over that tonight, why it is violating the, the Constitution and the principles of what America lives on by passing something like that. So historically, the reality is in present day, there's persecution throughout history. In the Bible, there's been persecution. There's persecution around the world. The reality is the devil is on a fight, and he has a strategy. He wants to defeat Christ, but he's already a defeated foe. And so there's a strategy, there's casualties, but then there's victory. I'm glad there's victory. And it says here that they uh, literally were people of faith who had obtained a good report through faith, and there is victory in Christ Jesus. It was God. Realize this. It was God in his fullness. All the victory that we can read in the Bible is in reference to God in his fullness. It was God in his fullness who cast Satan out of heaven. People say, well, I don't believe that God would cast people in hell. Well, he Will, he cast Satan out of heaven, and he cast him out of heaven in reference to judgment on of his pride and trying to be like God. Hell was created for the devil and his followers, his de demons. And if you're going to be a follower of Satan, you're going to reject Christ, and you're going to follow the leadership of Satan, then you have the same outcome that Satan is going to face. So but it was God in his fullness who cast Satan out of heaven. It was God in his fullness who pronounced the judgment on Satan in the garden. Wasn't Adam and Eve that defended themselves against Satan? Wasn't Adam and Eve who came up with the idea that Satan would have to the snake would have to crawl around on its belly all its days? It wasn't man that came up with the idea of what the judgment was on Satan. It was God who did that. It was God in his fullness who intervened on Israel's behalf over and over and over again. Israel can mark their history as backsliding away from God and then falling in bondage because of their backslidden state and then crying out and repenting in their fallen state and receiving the blessings of God. You would look at it and say, what kind of a God is God? I mean, he's a God that would cast people in hell. He was a God that would bring judgment. He's a God who would pour out his wrath on this earth. Uh, I'll tell you what kind of God he is. Every time that man rebels against him, falls into sin, and he cries and repents in his heart, and he cries out to his God, God forgives him again. 
God cleanses him. God extends grace to him. God enables mercy to flow upon him. It was God who intervened on Israel's behalf. And uh, we must be careful in the world we live in because God still is going to intervene on the behalf of Israel. That's why he said, who blesses Israel, he would bless, and those who curse Israel, he would curse. It was God who offered his only begotten son on Calvary. Never forget that. It was God who offered his son. It wasn't anybody else. He gave us an example when he told Abraham, take with thy son, thy own son, whom thou lovest, and offer him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Why did he do that? Because he was showing him how much he loved him. God would tell the prophet Hosea, take yourself a wife of those that are harlots. You say, why would God command him to do that? Because God wanted the prophet Hosea to understand how God felt in reference to the unfaithfulness of his people. It's amazing. It's always God that offers the ultimate sacrifice and that God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those have offered their lives in battles and defense of this country have done so that we can have freedom and we can have liberty. But wait a minute, there is a God in heaven who offered his only son so that we can have eternal life. It was God, the Son, who cried on Calvary, it is finished. People say, well, what do I have to do to be saved? There's nothing you have to do to be saved. You just got to have faith to believe. Jesus died on the cross. He said it was finished because the demands of a holy God was satisfied in the offering of himself. It is God, the Son, who will return for his church. I'm glad he's coming again, amen. Uh, it could happen in the twinkling of an eye. I've always prayed ever since I've been preaching is that the rapture may take place when I'm preaching. I would love that, to be preaching. I'd love to be pre preaching on prophecy and preaching on the return of Christ and hear the trumpet of God sound and we'd be caught up in heaven, amen. This same Jesus which is taken up from you shall come in like manner as you've seen him go up. The disciples stood there in amazement in Acts chapter 1 as Jesus was taken up into glory. And the angel said, why stand ye here gazing into heavens? He's coming again just like you've seen him go up. When you see these things, Jesus said, look up because your redemption draweth nigh. So the Son of God is the one who's returning for his church. It is God the Son who will return to fight for Israel. Be assured of this. That when Jesus comes again, he's taking his church to heaven. We'll be enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll be receiving before the judgment seat of Christ rewards for what we've done in our bodies, whether they've been good or bad. We'll be enjoying the redemption of God, but it'll be, listen, the battles that'll be raging, the, the countries, the nations that'll be forming, you see it all going on right now with Iran and all the Russia and China and, 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 and Germany and all that's going on. All the nations are positioning themselves to come against Israel. And when they come, it'll be Jesus who will speak and they'll all be defeated. It is God the Son who ultimately will cast Satan into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10. Satan is raging warrior doing whatever he can to destroy whoever's life he can 
because he knows this, the victory is sure, not for him, but for Jesus Christ. Matthew 24 and 6, Jesus said this, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And uh, um, I don't care how much these uh, uh, Green Deal people want to say that we only have 12 years left in the world. I'm going to tell you the world is going nowhere until God says it's going somewhere. Jesus said, you're going to see all this. Look at all this tragedy. I saw, I saw the other day, I saw. Now they're saying we're having global problems because of cauliflower. What do you want to pick on cauliflower for? I mean, really, seriously. Oh, cauliflower. Oh, 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 we have global change, climate change. Too many people are eating cauliflower. Get, come on, give me, a, give me a break. Are these people that stupid? And the people who listen to them for crying out loud. Well, look at what's going on in the world. Hey, you're going to see all these things going on. Romans chapter 8 says the whole world groaneth waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. So why are there hurricanes and why are there tornadoes? Why are there storms and why are there floods and why all this? Because the whole world is twisting and is turning. It's yearning for the coming of Jesus Christ. When you see these things, don't worry about them. The end's not yet. You say, when you, how do you know when the end's going to be over? When it's going to be over? Because all of a sudden you're going to turn around and all the Christians are going to be gone. You hear this morning, you're not sure you're saved. You never trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, how do you know when it's going to be coming to an end? I'll tell you one way. If you're sitting here and you're not saved and all of a sudden I'm gone. You better start thinking about getting right with God. Amen. You look around, the people sitting next to you, all of a sudden, boom, they're gone. You say, what, what happened? They have a fire drill or what? Memorial Day, we always look at the graves of loved ones, put flowers on the graves. We remember the wars that have been fought, the battles that have been won, the difficulties we've had to go through. But on Memorial Day, I think we need to look to the tomb of Jesus Christ and realize there is a war that is raging and it's between God and Satan. It's between good and evil. And Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. He sent it up on high, and he's coming again because the battle is already won. I'm going to tell you, wouldn't be any general in the world would love to be able to say, I'm going in the battle. Men, we're going in the battle. I understand it's going to be a difficult battle. We may not be thinking that what the outcome is, but I want you to know already before we go in, it's already won. Doesn't matter what happens. It's already won. You say, I might die in that battle. Doesn't matter because the battle's already been won. You die in Christ, you go straight to heaven. I'm confident rather to say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So this Memorial Day, I just want to challenge you to keep your memory hot in reference to who we are as a people. And let's thank the Lord for those that were willing to defend our liberty and our freedoms. But more so, let's thank the Lord. If the sun shall make you free, 
you shall be free indeed. And in Christ Jesus, we have freedom. Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul said that stand fast, stand fast. And the liberty wherewith Christ has set, been set you free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stand fast. I tell you, I stand fast as an American. I stand fast as a citizen of the United States of America. I'm not going to let anybody to embarrass me about who I am as a U.S. citizen. I'm not going to let anybody defame my nation, my people, my country. I'm not going to let anybody do that. And I'm not embarrassed and I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a proud to be a, a citizen of the United States of America. But I can tell you one thing right now. I'm more excited that I'm free in Christ Jesus. And I'm glad I'm a citizen, but I have a greater joy that I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian this morning? There's a battle for your soul. It's a battle of been waging ever since the Garden of Eden. And throughout all the annals of time in history, to this very day, there is a battle for your soul. You say, if I died right now, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. I want you to know you can come and receive Christ and be able to leave here knowing you're going to heaven. You'll be set free. The shackles will be broken. The bondage will be over. The life will be extended for all eternity just by com coming and trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. A resume of war. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the battle. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for Jesus Christ. I'm thankful, Lord, we live in a country where we can stand up and preach about Christ. I'm glad we can have faith in the Lord and not be afraid that we're going to receive retribution just because of the fact that we're a Christian. Days and times are changing, circumstances are changing, but our God never changed. You're always strong, you're always good, you're always on the throne, and you always give victory. I pray if there's someone here not saved, may they come receive Christ as their savior. Help every believer here today to rejoice in the freedoms that we have. We thank you, we thank you so much for the many, many folks that have offered their life for us to be free. We're thankful, Lord, even for the privilege that you give us to be willing to sacrifice of ourselves that others might be free. And so, Lord, bless us in this invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.